the Make Share Grow podcast. I'm artist Julie Marriott, and I created this podcast to share behind the scenes stories of art, craft, and the creative process. I can't believe it that we've made it all the way to the very end of season one of Make Share Grow. This is episode 12, and this show is a special Q&A Ask Julie Anything episode where I invited you guys to write me in your questions about my art practice or creative process or business, and I would do my best to answer your questions on this very last episode. So um, why don't we just dive right on in? Kim asks... I think you mentioned taking classes for pattern design. Were those online classes? So yes, um, I have mentioned in the past episodes that I have taken some classes um, in surface pattern design, and those were online classes. They're through a website called Pattern Observer. It's patternobserver.com. And Michelle is the head of Pattern Observer, and she has been designing uh, clothing patterns for the fashion market for years and years. So she's an experienced fashion pattern designer and then started Pattern Observer as a blog where she was kind of showcasing her own trend research and then slowly started developing classes, online courses that would help other aspiring pattern designers learn about the markets, how to create compelling pattern collections, how to design repeats, and things like that. A lot of different aspects of different markets of the pattern design world. She has different courses centered around all those different markets. So yes, I took a class on creating a pattern collection from your sketches and how to create a really cohesive collection that has a driving sort of theme and mood without being super matchy-matchy and how to create coordinates. And um, then I also took a class on creating repeats in Illustrator and in Photoshop and I'm, oh, I know. And I took a third class that was learning about the different markets and kind of doing sample like one or two or three like mini collections for a bunch of different markets like interior design, fashion, craft fabric, active wear, things like that. And every one of her courses was really great and super informative. You could really tell that Michelle knows exactly what she's talking about. And if there is a market of pattern design that she's not an expert in, she brings in guest experts to inform the classes. A whole new section of Pattern Observer is that has been sort of added on to the courses is the, the oh, I think it's called the textile lab or the design lab or something like that, where you can be a member of the lab and pay a monthly fee. And then you can log in and they have all these monthly challenges and group exercises and feedback in forums and just a lot of support if you are a growing uh, pattern designer and need some more impetus or inspiration for uh, kicking that all off. So that is a uh, pattern observer is the place where I learned most of what I know about pattern design. Um, another another online course that I would really recommend is on Skillshare, and 
it's actually a series of courses taught by Bonnie Christine. If you look up her name on Skillshare, her classes should uh, pop up. She she does all pattern design in Illustrator. So all of her Skillshare classes are focused in on that program if you're interested in using Illustrator. Um, and she has a whole... Uh, like starting from being a beginner into intermediate and then advanced. Um, and then a course on creating a, a physical fo- a portfolio book of all of your work to send to different um, companies for licensing your fabrics. So she or your patterns for different applications, fabric is one of them. Um, she is a great resource, Bonnie Christine, for uh also learning about pattern design online, kind of in your own time. She's really inspiring. She tells her story of how she started out, and um, it was just basically through self-education and hard work, and she now is licensing her patterns left and right, which is so cool. So yeah, I hope you guys will check that out if you're interested in pattern design. They're a great place to start. Pattern Observer and then Bonnie Christine on Skillshare. The next question is from Kaylee, and she asks, I'd really like to know how being a mom and an artist has changed over time. Obviously, when your little one was a newborn, your day-to-day looks very different to what it looks like now. I think talking about this would be nice. I know when my son was a newborn, I thought that it was the way my life would be forever, and I would never get to make anything ever again. Then at about three months, he would entertain himself while lying down, and I felt like I could create 24 hours a day again. And every week, I relearn how to create around him. So I think that this would be really, really great to talk about. So yeah, definitely um, what being a mom and an artist has looked like for me has definitely changed as Violet has grown. So when she was a newborn... What I would do, I had her in her bassinet, like pack and play bassinet thing, and it would, it had wheels on it and it would roll around. And I also had a swing, one of those self rocking swings. So basically, if she was in the swing taking a nap or she was in the bassinet taking a nap and she could be anywhere and just conk out, the light didn't bother her at that point when she was really newborn. I would roll her out into the dining room and I would just work on the table and have my little setup and really just work as long as her nap lasted or even for just a part of her nap if I needed to get other things done. But um, she would only nap, you know, for like an hour or so at a time, but she would take lots of naps. And so I would just like literally just roll her around in her little bassinet or have her in her swing in the living room and just do as much as I could on the table right next to her while keeping an eye on her. Um, As she got older, she was a good sleeper, and so she would start taking longer naps. And honestly, nap time has been my main time for working. Um, As she got older and started sleeping through the night, and I felt like I was recovering from being sleep-deprived, then I started getting up before she woke up in the morning because she she would kind of wake up between like six and seven, I guess. And so I would try to get up like an hour to 45 minutes before I knew her normal wake up time was to get a little bit of work or art done. And that I know waking up really early is not for everybody, but I just really had the motivation. Like I would wake up excited to get stuff done, basically. And it wouldn't be that I would be excited to be up early. It would just be like the excitement 
would compel me to get out of bed to actually do work. (laughs) And so I tried to make getting up early as enjoyable as possible. So I'd make myself, I'd have my little routine. So I'd make myself a cup of coffee. I would check my phone for a few minutes to help me wake up. And then I would hop into the studio or whatever space that I had at that time to uh, do my art. And sometimes I would just work on the computer. If I really didn't feel creatively inspired early in the morning, I would just, you know, edit photos for Instagram or write a blog pitch that I was trying to send to somebody or I would plan out like what I was going to do that day or, you know, I would just do something towards my business and I would try to kind of know what I would do the night before. Not always. I wasn't hyper planned like that. Sometimes I would just roll out of bed and see what I felt like doing. But, um, but yeah, I um I think the main thing that helps me get up early and I still do this. This is still what I do now. Um what helps me get up early is having goals, like larger goals that I'm working towards. So I like I've just uh kind of come out of the fog of getting really into creating a ton of stuff for the holidays. And um Basically, what was propelling me was I had an art fair, a like a handmade holiday fair last weekend, and I just had to get stuff done for that. And so every day I would just roll out of bed and say, okay, what's the next thing I need to do? What do I need to make? What do I need to plan? And um, so having those goals to propel me, to energize me when I didn't really feel like getting up early has definitely helped. So that was something I worked into the getting up early part it was something I worked into after I stopped being sleep deprived as a new mom. And then another phase that has been a little bit different is in the last year or so, year or so. So like while Violet has been, has been two, she has really moved into imaginary play and enter- entertaining herself a lot more than she used to be. And so she'll just, I'll just be kind of observing her and she'll be playing in the living room and I can just hear her talking and playing with her toys and, you know, playing out with whatever little game she's playing. And sometimes I'll just run and do something really quick while she is playing on her own. Like I'll do a little something on the computer, not normally painting because I need a larger chunk of time to paint. But if there's some sort of thing for my business or my art practice that I can do or at least set up or plan, um, often I'll I'll find myself editing Instagram photos while she's playing um, where she's not really missing me being around. And I know she's fine because she's like right outside the door there. Um, that is something that I have, have been able to do as she's gotten older. Also, um, I have been hiring babysitters to come once a week. And so just like friends or family members who um, that is what they love to do, I'll have them come over for about three hours once a week or once every other week um, and just have them play while I close the door and work in my studio. And I felt more comfortable doing that as Violet has gotten older where I don't feel like she really needs me. Any um, issues that come up can really just be taken care of by the babysitter. And so, yeah, I feel like that is how my art practice has changed, like, super practically. I think kind of conceptually, as Violet has gotten older, I felt like I could take on more 
and be a little bit more ambitious because I have more outside help and um, she's more a little bit more self-sufficient for chunks of time. So um, yeah, I think I think things have evolved where I felt the confidence to take on more and just have been able to find more pockets of time throughout the day to be able to squeeze in uh, more art making and planning for my business. So yeah, I hope that helps. Mariana asks, I would love to know how you keep your acrylics moist. In my experience, they dry out so fast that I don't always have a chance to use them prior to them drying out into a useless lump. I live in Southern California too, so as you know, we have a very dry climate. I've tried to spray them periodically with water, but if I do that too many times, it thins them out. Do you use drying retarder or do you simply paint fast? So yeah, I... I do struggle with my paints drying out too, although I struggle with it less now because I've come up with a couple sort of methods, I guess you could call them, for not having too much paint out at once. So I'll, I'll explain. So what I do is I have... I have the colors that I normally use kind of stored up in my mind, and I know what parts of a painting I usually do them use them for. So when I'm making a painting, I explained, I think it was in the last episode, in episode 11, the process that I paint through. And so usually I'll paint flowers first, and then I'll paint leaves, and then I'll kind of do touch-ups at the end. So I will only squeeze out the colors I know I'm going to need. And then if I happen to need something else, I'll add that to my palette. And so I know that for flowers, I usually use like the pinks, the oranges, the reds, and the whites and the yellows. And so those are the ones that I'll put out. Also, I kind of have a gauge for how much paint, how much of each color I generally use. And so I will squeeze out differing amounts of different colors. So I know like yellow ochre, it really only needs a touch in mixtures for flower colors, but I need a lot more of it for my leaf colors. So during those different phases, I'll squeeze out differing amounts of paints. Also, I generally will squeeze out paints multiple times during a paint session. So really, I'm only putting out like a dime-sized blob or maybe like a nickel-sized blob of each color at a time. And then as that one gets used up, I'll squeeze out another small amount and then use that one up and then squeeze out another little small amount. And so it, it'll it change if I'm using or if I'm working on a small painting versus a large painting. So I definitely know if I'm painting like large cream colored flowers on a big painting, I'm obviously going to squeeze out a lot more than just a dime size amount of white. I'll probably do like a quarter size or two quarter size or, you know, that sort of a size. Um, but yeah, I kind of have just through being familiar with how I use my paints, I'll kind of ration out my paints and put them out multiple times during a session. I really don't spray with water. I, I, I've done that before when I was teaching at the art studio, um, but I really I haven't found a need for that. And um, I'll throw in here at the end how I save colors because if I've mixed a custom color, definitely like for a background or a larger area that maybe might need two coats of a color or something like that where it's a more it's a more complex color and I need an exact color match and it would be really hard to remix that exact color, I will get a Tupperware 
and I'll get a piece of paper towel and get it wet and then squeeze it out so it, it it's not like sopping wet. It's just wet all the way through. And I'll lay that at the bottom of the Tupperware and then I'll get a piece of kitchen wax paper and lay that over top of the wet paper towel and then I'll use my palette knife and kind of scrape the color that I've mixed on onto the palette knife and blob it back into the Tupperware onto the wax paper. And so that, and then I'll just put on the lid, and that will last for weeks, honestly. Like, really, the only time it starts going bad is if, (laughs) like, this is kind of gross, but if the paper towel starts growing mold or something like that, you know it's been in there way too long. But definitely several days, you're good to go. And um, I love saving paint like that because, obviously, it's going to dry out. With oil paints, you can leave them on your palette a lot longer, but with acrylics, you've got to, you know, put it in a Tupperware or something to save it. The moisture does tend to thin out the paint slightly, so you might need to add back in, if you want a heavier body paint, you might need to add back in some texture paste or something like that to give it a bit more of a stiff body if you need that. But yeah, that is my trick for saving acrylics. A question here from Kathleen. She asks, a question for you for your next podcast or season, dot, 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 social media. How did you get over 5,000 Instagram followers? I only want true followers, so I'm willing to stay small until it happens. Thanks for sharing. So when thinking about Instagram, I did a lot of research when I was new to Instagram, and I guess maybe for like the first year of using it. And I've been on Instagram now, I would say for three to three and a half years, Um at the very beginning, I was not using it for my business at all. I was just posting personal stuff. And then once I started getting more serious about creating a brand and having a certain, a brand identity and a visual look and a kind of, I was starting to find a color palette that I was really drawn to in my work. And that was kind of representative of my brand as a whole, the types of colors that I like to use. I started just trying to get a little bit more curated. And honestly, it's taken me three years to get to over 5,000 followers. So I wouldn't say that I am amassing them at a huge fast rate. It's just been a very slow growth. Um, So my top tips for Instagram is definitely curate and think of it if you if you have a brand and you are wanting to sell a product or have a cause or a business or something specific and you want to use Instagram for that stick to that and be as curated as possible and go for quality over quantity it was a long time before I started posting every day. I really worked up to it and I took baby steps. And at one point that sounded just completely overwhelming. But once I kind of uh, integrated taking photos of my process and my finished pieces into my workflow, for lack of a better word, it was just sort of a normal part of my studio time that I would take some photos of what I was working on or what I had finished. Um, that started getting easier. I'd start having a backlog of photos that I could share and it felt more comfortable sharing every day. Like I wasn't scrambling for content. Um, so I would say 
strive for quality photos over quantity. And one really great piece of advice that I got from Emily Jeffords, she's a painter, and I actually took a online course of hers. It was just like an hour-long live seminar and slides that she does, and she might bring that back. I don't think she's doing it currently, but she does it periodically. So you can check that out. Anyway, I took her course, and one of my major takeaways from that was thinking of Instagram and the Instagram feed as as your brand magazine or as like a gallery for your brand and being really careful about what the images are that you place next to each other so that there is a pleasing visual flow to it. And um, she would, she talked about having close-up images, having images that were farther away, more of a space, having images of your process, having images of your finished pieces, have ones with your hands in there, have, have your face in there. And so, um, it was a, a really eye-opening kind of way of thinking about Instagram as, as sort of a, an all-over brand magazine that would be representative, but also a beautiful mixture of textures and types of photos so that it wasn't all close-up, 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 close-up of just, of just images of my pieces. I would be in there. My process would be in there. Unfinished pieces would be in there. Um, having a nice mixture. So that was really informative, that course by Emily Jeffords. I also, in the last year, have signed up for a, um, it's an app called Plan. It's P-L-A-N-N. And it's an app specifically just for Instagram. And you can upload into it your photos that you would like to eventually use on Instagram. And it'll display them as the little square tiles. And you can rearrange them and see how they'll look all together. And so you can plan out the visual impression of your feed before you actually post. Because before, I would just kind of think or look at them in my camera roll and kind of say like, okay, that one will sort of look good next to that one. But sometimes like three ones of my hand would end up all like stacked on top of each other and it would look kind of funky. So using plan has helped me (laughs) plan out my feed so it'd be more visually pleasing and a little bit more thoughtfully curated. Um, And also I can draft my captions in there. Um, Let's see if I have another thought on Instagram. I guess, so being careful about the visuals and really being consistent on how I want my, my brand look to be and not including anything that is divergent from my brand look, even if that's like, oh yes, a messy photo of my desk. Maybe people could connect to a messy photo of my desk, but it doesn't visually go with the rest of my feed. So I would need either need to take a pleasing photo of the mess or just not post that. <laughs> um, another part that I have added to my Instagram and overall just brand and website strategy is having a session of professional photos taken of me in my studio so that I can use those on my website and sprinkle them through social media for the whole basically year to come. I've done that twice now. 
And it is so helpful because if I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't put up a picture of me in my studio or of my face in a while, I just have a backlog of photos, of beautiful photos that I never could have taken on my own that I can just pop in there and mix in with my photos that I take on a daily basis. I do use my um, a DSLR for a lot of my photos, and I edit them often in Photoshop to brighten them up. Um, when the light is not great in my studio. So I do put a lot of time into my images. So that's just something that if you're interested in that, you just kind of work up to spending some time on your photos. Um, The last part of Instagram strategy that I guess I'll put out there is I, I think I have varying success from week to week, but I do try to be as much of a real person on Instagram as I can, like sharing personal experiences, sharing my emotions, just trying to make a personal connection with the the people who are looking at my images and commenting, trying to respond to comments as much as possible and just thank people for commenting or or start a conversation on there. Because with art, folks really need to form a connection with you often before buying. I know when I have purchased pieces of art, I followed that person on Instagram because that's the platform I'm most active on. I've usually followed them for a year or two or three and have really watched their work and seen how it's grown and changed and imagined their work being in my home and have just kind of formed a connection with them. And the more that they share of themselves and, um, Even artists who are more private, who don't share everything, but if they share a little bit, you really feel like they're a real person and you're connected to them and their process and much more invested in them. And so I try to do the same thing to help folks who might want to collect my artwork in the future feel like they know me as a person and have that personal relationship with me when they buy a piece. Heather asks, what is your process and how long does it take to do a commission piece? Also, what have you learned about doing these types of pieces since you started doing commissions? So um, on episode nine, I went into my commission process in a lot of detail, but I'll go over that just really briefly here. So first, I start by just gathering the information from my client about just what is the basically all of the ideas that they have for the piece that they would like. Most often I am doing a floral piece or a garden girl where it's a person holding flowers. And so I'll just ask them for flower types that they would love to see, what kind of colors they want, what kind of, if they have uh, pieces that I've done in the past that have parts to them that they really enjoyed, uh, send those images to me, send me Pinterest photos of their inspiration, let me know, you know, any sort of information that can inform what I'm going to make. And then I will do a thumbnail sketch and a little color thumbnail painted sketch that'll take me like an hour or two to make. And then I'll get their approval and any changes that they'd like on the sketch. And then I will create the full finished piece and then give them one round of revisions after the piece is finished to make any tweaks or changes that they would like to make. And then that is the process. So how long does the commission take? It really just depends on the size of the piece. If it's a small one, well, I guess overall with all the emailing back and forth, it can take from 
two weeks to six weeks, I would say, is the longest. And that's if somebody is kind of a little bit busier or they're slower emailing me back and answering questions that I have. Um, Sometimes it can stretch the process out. If they're a really quick communicator and are just really on the ball with answering questions and giving me feedback on the things I share with them, then I can get a piece, a commission piece done in about two weeks. And um, if it's a small piece, maybe even just one week because I just need like a few sessions in the studio to actually complete the piece. The thing that makes commissions go a lot faster than my personal pieces that I'm just making on my own without somebody else's input is that I'm planning out the piece in that thumbnail sketch. So even if it's a large piece, I'm creating a small sketch that really doesn't take as much time and making all the decisions in that small piece. So I'm planning out the layout, the color scheme, where the different flowers will be. And then I'm just recreating that in more detail on the larger canvas. And so I'm able to really just get that piece made a lot faster because I'm not pausing as much and making a lot of integral creative decisions during the creation of the really big canvas. So yeah, commissions generally take a little bit quicker than my personal pieces, but generally between two and six weeks. Um, What have I learned about doing these types of pieces? Um, I think the main takeaway for me, like generally from commissions, is finding out what I like to do and what I don't like to do, and also discovering discovering different types of flowers or motifs that I really enjoyed, but I wouldn't actually have thought of to do on my own. So um, I have done several uh, monograms, and those are super meticulous because I have the letters that I have stenciled out and I have to fill them in so they look really crisp and perfect in the center of the canvas. And then my florals will go all around the outside edges. And that actually was one of my main uh, bread and butter pieces when I had an Etsy shop when I was first starting out. It was all monograms with floral wreaths around them. I've done just a few of those now and then since I have moved into doing just more primarily floral pieces. Um, And I've realized that I need to or that I have, I've realized how much time and effort that takes, essentially. And so I have raised my prices on those pieces and have figured out, okay, this is what it's worth it to me to do these pieces. If somebody, if that price is fine with them, then I'm happy to make that piece for them. Um, But I'm not going to charge the low prices I was in the beginning because those are so much more meticulous and not the... I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself like super creatively fulfilled by painting meticulous letters. <laughs> I love the florals and I love the letters with the florals, but um, I would rather be painting florals. So just want to make sure I'm compensated for all the time and effort. Um, I think also what I've learned about doing commissions as I have gotten more, more experience just knowing what I really enjoy painting is just feeling comfortable saying no. If somebody has a idea that they would like me to paint that's really divergent from what my brand is and what I love to paint, 
then I'll just say no and try to recommend a an artist that I think might do that for them. So I have decided I don't paint portraits at this point. <laughs> um, I am okay putting people in my images if they are, you know, integrated into a landscape. I did an Anne of Green Gables painting where it was just the backs of Anne and Diana sitting in this beautiful landscape. I did that earlier this year and I loved how it, it turned out, but I wasn't feeling the pressure of creating like people's faces or their exact likenesses of anybody. Um, and I love my garden girls because it's a person in the painting, but the flowers are all over their faces. So I don't have the pressure of getting like a non wonky face in there. Um, so yeah, I just come more, become more confident in what I do well and what I love doing. And I feel comfortable saying no, thank you to projects that don't fit in that, in that category. And that brings us to the very end of episode 12. Thank you so much for listening to Make Share Grow, you guys. I can't say enough how appreciative I am of all of your kind comments and feedback on the show. And I'm so glad that it has been encouraging and inspiring you and has been hanging out with you in the studio while you're creating or while you're driving in the car. I'm just so, so happy that I'm able to put a little bit of what I've learned and my creative process out into the world and hopefully encourage other creatives or other people who are just interested about art and creativity. So thank you so much for all of your support and your feedback. What I love to ask you for is a rating and a review on iTunes. If you have um, been enjoying listening to the show, iTunes has made it super easy to leave feedback now on their newest update of the app. You just kind of scroll down once you have clicked on the podcast icon and are kind of in on the page that has all the episodes. If you scroll down, it'll have a big and bold area where you can leave a rating and a review straight on your phone. So I would love next time if you are are hanging out on your phone, find yourself scrolling and just being like, ah, burning some time. Take a moment, please, and leave a review. That really helps other people who might be interested in the podcast find it easier in the search. Again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm starting to plan out season two, and I am, if I can get the technology together, I'm planning on having some guests, some artists, and some other creatives on to talk about their creative processes and to share more about that with you. Um, I'm still planning on sprinkling in some personal episodes in with those other interviews, Um but if you have some favorite artists or makers or creatives of some sort that you would like to hear interviewed on Make Share Grow, please shoot me their name, their Instagram handle, or tag them in one of my posts so I know that you would be, like to hear from them on the show. I would love your suggestions because... Uh, I would just really like to broaden my uh, little world of the people that I follow and know about and be able to learn about some new artists and makers too. As we close out season one of the show and move into a new year, I hope that you will stay inspired and will continue to find your own unique way to make, share, and grow. Thank 
Thanks for listening to Make Share Grow. You can keep up with the podcast and my artwork on my website, juliemarriottart.com, and on Instagram at juliemarriottart.com.